There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher, and we've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week, Centauri and I were joined by Marcus Dell'Artino. Marcus is a lobbyist and partner with the public relations firm First Strategic. We had a great conversation that went from Marcus's role in politics to the evolution and current state of political campaigns to how people can get involved at the local level. You can find out more information about Marcus at firststrategic.com as well as some other locations listed in the show notes. If you'd like to take action on any of the issues that we talked about, click Contact Us in the show notes and we'll get you what you need to make it happen. Thanks as always for listening. Remember to tell a friend. That's enough about that. Let's go. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me as always is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action this week is Marcus Dell'Artino, a professional lobbyist with the firm First Strategic. How are you, sir? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to, excited to have you on. Centauri, which character on, uh, on House of Cards do you most identify with? Oh, this is a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, what character? You want me to say this like publicly? Yeah, or this is going to go out to the masses. All over the world. Uh, all over the world. Um, probably Claire for uh, she's cutthroat. She knows what she wants. She'll do anything to get it. And I think she's probably the smartest character on the show. Mm. Um, Francis thinks that he has the power, but it's really Claire. So that's what I think. So you just said that you think you're really smart. Yeah, if, if that's what you got out of that show. <laughs> like if that was the one nugget that you got, sure. Fundamentally. <laughs> Marcus, how, how close to that is... How close is the show to, to Washington or politics in general? You will uh, find this somewhat <clears throat> ironic, but I don't watch the House of Cards. Uh, it? We never got started on it. We were saving it up for a um, for a big run, you know, a weekend when we were quiet and we could just plow through all the shows, me and my wife. Um, and then, you know, we got thrown a curveball and we had, you know, twins in addition to mm. our two-year-old. And there are no such thing as weekends anymore. <laughs> There's no such thing as TV anymore, frankly. So. Yeah. Um, so we never caught up with it. And the other thing that, you know, I hate watching political movies and TV movies because the reality is so vastly different. And it, mm. and it, you know, the first campaign movie I watched, I think it had, um, uh, George Clooney in it. And, and I can't remember who, uh, who the woman actor was, but, uh, there were campaign managers and just this stayed in lovely hotel rooms and ate this wonderful yes. food and traveled glamorous class. And let me tell you, <laughs> after watching that, I said, I'm done. There's no, there's no sense of reality. You stay in flea bag hotels, you eat at the convenience store, you, you up 20 hours a day, you know, there's not that much glamor in it. So looking back, how, how did you want to get into the world of politics? How did you end up as, as a public relations, did, as how, a lobbyist? How did I get into this? I, um, uh, I was a finance major, believe it or not, down hmm. at the University of Arizona. And um, in about, you know, you start your core cl- classes in about your third year. As a matter of fact, I was going through uh, college at the same time as your last guest, Mr. Mankey, Brent Mankey, oh, wow. who um, traveled the world being a chef. But um, so I was a finance major and realized after taking a few of these core classes that I was bored out of my mind and <laughs> sort of envisioned my future being in a cubicle, punching a calculator. And, um, and at the same time, I was doing well, really well in my poli-sci classes and actually enjoyed going to them. So um, I was kind of geeking out and got an internship with John McCain. And that sort of started the process. And right out of college, went out to D.C., um, worked out there for about almost two years. Um, worked for the House Agriculture Committee. I worked for a division of the Republican Party doing some fundraising. And then came home and started working on campaigns. Um, worked for a con- couple of congressional campaigns back here. Um, and then now i got to remember what I did after. Um, let's see, I worked for Hayworth. I worked for Matt Salmon. Uh, went to work as the chief of staff at Maricopa County. Uh, for Don Stapley, who was then a county supervisor, and then got a call one day to ask to go work on John McCain's presidential campaign. So I, I left and went and did the presidential campaign. And of course, somebody else got elected, so 
went to work um, and formed a company with a partner and did a bunch of lobbying down at the, at the state legislature. And then um, eventually got called back to go to work for John McCain in 2008. And uh, went a little farther that time, but, but the result was, was still the same. So I came over uh, with a bunch of guys that I had known for 20 years in the business. They were all friends of mine. Um, and we had, had great mutual respect and actually did a lot of fishing together as well. So that was then HGDNR is now first strategic. We changed the name when, when I and another one came over, and here I am. Here we are. So can you uh, tell our, view, our, our listeners a little bit about what it's like to work on a presidential campaign? That's so fascinating. It is absolutely the most physically and emotionally exhausting experience you'll ever go through. And I would tell, you know, there's a reason that most of those people aren't married. Um, you're, you know, your relationship just can't stand it. But you're, um, you're literally at the office 20 hours a day. Um, and it's high-intensity um, stress. And you just, you never know what's going to happen. I had a... Um, I came in the office, I remember this vividly one morning at about 6.30 in the morning, and we had a kid, Stefan, who was working for us, who manned the front desk, but there was a sweet little old lady sitting in the corner in a chair, not making a peep, not saying a word, but it's 6.30 in the morning, and I'm wondering, what is this lady doing here? And so I said, hey, you know, Stefan, what's going on? He said, you know, boss, that lady walked in here, and she only talked to John McCain. And I said, well, did you tell her John's not coming? And she, he said, yeah, but she won't leave. So I said, you know, let me talk to her. So I, I talked to this lady. Well, literally, she was from California. She had the voices in the television told her that she needed to see John McCain immediately. And she was to get on a bus and travel out to Phoenix, Arizona. So, you know, quickly, I sort of discovered that we, she suffers from some form of mental illness, or at least dementia. Um, she was clearly older. And, you know, her poor kids are probably wondering what happened to her, her family. Um, but you just don't expect to get that at 6.30 in the morning, so, right? So you called the FBI immediately. <laughs> the, uh, we had a great, you know, we had a great working relationship with all our law enforcement guys. We had Phoenix PD that we worked a lot. So in this particular case, Phoenix PD was able to track down her family in California, oh. who had no idea, obviously, that she was in Phoenix. Um, and, yeah, we did, we did, obviously, we did a lot of work with the Secret Service. We were great guys. <clears throat> So, yeah. It, again, you just don't know what you're gonna what you're gonna get into. And you know, my, one of our funniest stories, at least from 2008, was I had pulled a I'd pulled a 48 hour. I'd stayed up literally 48 hours straight, and and it was now election eve. And uh, one of the guys said, "You need to lay down. Like you're you are clearly overtired." And and I did. And he just said, "Just crawl under your desk. Nobody will know. Just take a quick nap. You you know you got to catch up." Well, little did I know that Senator Jeff Flake at the time was coming in to visit, sat down at my desk, had no idea I was under there taking a nap <laughs> um, until, you know, my friend said, hey, Senator, who's in a deep, you know, conversation about the campaign, take a look what's going on underneath your desk. So, you know, Jeff Flake caught me sleeping on the job, per se. <laughs> Threw you right under the bus. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's good. I'm fascinated by people that have the ability to sleep essentially for a handful of hours a day I, is that just a, a, a your 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 level changes or it, it you know you can do it when you know that there's a finish line it's mm -hmm. uh, and and that's probably one of the toughest adjustments when you're on this campaign because you're going about 100 miles an hour it's just non-stop non-stop and then one day it's over win lose or draw that campaign's over and you're you don't have to be at the office at 6 a.m and you don't have to stay till night and you literally you will lay in bed and do as little as humanly possible for a week just to let your sort of get your senses back about you. Um, and you can finally talk to your friends again and talk to your family again. Um, so it's, but those life experiences are now coming back to me in a different way. I mean, we just had twins and I've got a two year old at home and I'm still not sleeping. So, so it served you well. Yeah, it served me well. It paid off. That's, 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 that's pretty funny. Um, and it, it, it's tough to, to look backwards or, or, or to hypothesize, but had John McCain won, what, what would your career have, have looked like differently if he had become the President of the United States? I, you know, God, you, you could stay up forever thinking about that. But I'll be honest with you. I, you know, I've always said there's only one way I was going back to D.C., and I've already worked and lived in D.C., but there's only one way I was going back, and that was, you know, if it was in the White House. 
Although I gotta say, at that point in my career in 2008, and you know, I grew up here in Arizona, I was sort of to the point where I would have probably stayed back here. To be perfectly honest with you, I don't know if I would have been willing to make the jump to go back there. Got it. Um, that's that's a lot to say. I mean, you're talking about working in the White House. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you get a little older, a little wiser, and you decide, hey, my life might just be okay back here in Phoenix. And you know what? It has. It's been great. What would a hypothetical role have been in the White House, though? Oh, God, I don't know. Um, you know, there's so many jobs there that, that most people probably don't focus on. You know, advance... Uh, operations are a huge part of the job. Um, I think visually people always look to the Secret Service and say, hey, you know, those are the guys that do all the work. And that's mm. it's absolutely not the case. Um, they do some of the work, but, you know, you've got to um, you've got to set up these event locations. You've got to make sure your boss has a way to get there, a way out. And the traveling media pool, where are we landing? What time are we landing? Who's getting food, fed and when are they getting fed? I mean, literally every single detail that you can think of wow. needs to be figured out, you know, days <laughs> in advance. Um, you know, I was just watching a press conference not all that long ago with uh, with the now President Trump, and I and I can tell you, I think one of those advance guys was in a little bit of trouble because his audio just stunk. I mean, it was terrible. And that's part of the job. You've got to make sure all this equipment works uh, works well and, and makes him look very presidential. Um, press operations, obviously communications, that's, um, that's a big job in the White House. And somebody from Arizona just went back and is now uh, Melania Trump's, First Lady Trump's uh, uh, White House spokesman. So that's a, that's a big job. Yeah. Um, there's an entire campaign operation, obviously, that's involved there, political operations. That's so. probably going 20 hours a day right now. Yeah. Oh, you know, that, that's the interesting thing. I mean, campaigns have almost never stopped. And, you know, my mom always complains. She says, I just want these campaigns to go for two months and that's it and it's over. Well, welcome to America. We don't, we're not doing that anymore. Um, and, um, and the, you know, we've had some massive, some just really significant court cases that, um, that have changed how campaigns are run and how campaign finances are run. And that's certainly had an effect on, on the electorate and, um, you know, you can call it dark money, you can call it special interest, you can call it um, everything, and, and I essentially do. But that money's being used now, 24 hours a day, uh, 365 days out of the year. It may not be to elect a certain candidate, but it's certainly there to influence your opinion on a certain subject. 24 hours a day with so many different ways to kind of get inside your head, right? Yeah, start looking at your Facebook <clears throat> differently. Um, you, you know, I think we're... St- starting to have this debate about what is privacy and how much mm-hmm. uh, companies are, are entitled to your personal information. But I will tell you that it's been out there for a long time. Um, and one of the things, you know, F- Facebook's a great example because everybody understands it. But all those links that you click on, all those things that you're interested in, is data that's then sold and to a certain extent sold to campaign operations, mm. right? So you like hunting and fishing? Well, I'm going to target you with a mailer that says my candidate loves hunting and right. fishing. Um, I boiled it down to the ultimate simplicity, but um, all those pieces are, are coming together where the free market is, is selling your information to get a demographic, an idea of, of what moves you, and the campaigns are using that. So um, going into not only a presidential campaign, but any campaign that you're running, what are some of the like, first key questions that you're asking candidates? So to put a structure behind how you're moving forward, what are some of the things that you absolutely have to know? The first question I always ask a candidate is, why are you running? Um, Because, one, they're going to get that question on the trail, right? It's a sensible question. Uh, But two, having done this for a while gives you a gauge of what motivates them, who they are. I've heard every answer under the book, so there's nothing... There's, uh, there's not going to be anything that surprises me, um, but it gives you an idea of whether they're really prepared to do it. I had a candidate one time tell me, well, my neighbor thought I'd be good at it. Well, it's, there you go. It's a logical answer, although i got to tell you, you know, I, I was hoping you'd start with a little bit stronger passion for the issues, right? My neighbor is George Bush. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you get, yeah, that's, that's probably the most important question. The second most important question is, have you talked to your family? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'd be amazed at how many people want to talk about running for office and haven't talked to their family about it. I'll tell you, if you want an e-ticket to get a divorce, <laughs> go run for office without telling your wife. Um, so, um, and it does, uh, people undervalue the effect it has on children. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have, if you have grown kids in college, don't worry about it. They'll be fine. 
but if your kids are expecting to see you at the little league game every night, um, or uh, or at breakfast every morning, or whatever it may be, it it takes a toll. And there's certainly been a number of you know families in politics that have experienced their share of problems because one member of the households in D.C. or you know could be working late at night or whatever whatever it is, and the kids the kids sense it. Mm-hmm. How much of um how much do you gauge or kind of get an idea of what skeletons might be in the closet or if they're actually fit to run would be my question. You know, in today's day and age, does it matter? Right. right. I mean, <laughs> every, everyone's seen everything. I, right. I got to tell you, I mean, uh, every year it seems to get sort of worse and worse. And, and I, I'm not too sure what the what, what the boiling point is right. for, for America anymore. Seems like you can get away with anything. Yeah. Um, you, were, you know, there used to be a point where you, if you had one divorce, you weren't fit for office. I mean, we've... <laughs> we've We've plowed way past that point. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I just ask them, and and um, I say, listen, you know, here's the thing: we're going to find out. There is absolutely no doubt about it. Um, so you might as well come clean with me right now. Mm-hmm. And then, if you don't want to come clean, that's okay, because we're going to go run a background check on you. I know you think I'm just going to run it on your opponent, and I'm not. I'm going to run it on you to find out sure. what your opponent's yeah. going to say. So. Um, you know, most, most cases they'll come clean. Um, you know, and, and sometimes, frankly, they're very forthcoming about it. I mean, we met with a candidate a couple of years ago. I won't, I won't say too much as to reveal who it was, but literally said, listen, I've been accused of being mentally ill, and you know what? I make no bones about it. I've, I've gone to counseling, and I've had some, some mental issues, and I've, um, you know, learned some coping skills and whatever, you know, been through behavioral classes and you know I'm fine now and it's a little shocking once you first hear it um, but you know he was comfortable getting it out there on the table and we were happy to happy to listen to it but um, you know I think when you I think one of the experiences from this last presidential campaign seriously is um, you know it, it's difficult if you're hoping to pin everything on one character flaw in your opponent you're going to be sadly mistaken when that doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we've, I, I don't think there's any flaw we didn't find in these last two candidates um, during this general election, but uh, didn't, the public didn't, didn't seem to resonate right. with them. You know, it was certainly about other issues. It certainly didn't seem to be about other issues. <clears throat> I think that there's still probably some third rails that if you are or have this background or you're a certain religion that you probably couldn't be elected president of the United States, but I don't know what else, maybe depression, if you were actually diagnosed with depression, something like that, or I don't know. You know, I, I question that now in today's day and age. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I heard some people were frustrated because, you know, Hillary didn't get elected because she was a woman. That's not, that's, couldn't be more inaccurate at the end of the day. I mean, all, all the data shows that it had nothing really to do with her being a woman. It had more to do with her stance on the issues. And, and I think that there was for, you know, and I think we certainly saw it in the Rust Belt states, you know. These, what I call lunch pail Democrats, they've been in the union for 40 years. They, um, they're steel workers. Um, and they've been doing what the union wanted for 40 years. And they've always sort of been a little torqued about NAFTA. Actually, a lot talked about NAFTA. Um, and they're looking back and saying, you know, my way of life is different. You know, my our state's actually contracting in size. We're not growing in size. Everybody's moving. I've been doing the same thing for 40 years. You know what? This guy says he wants to make America great again. Damn, I'm, I'm with him. I'm Let's do it. Yeah. And, um, and now they weren't running around bragging to their neighbors. Um, that's for sure. Uh but you know, in the in the privacy of their own voting booth, said, "Man, what the hell? I got nothing to lose." Quick. And the other thing that I think people, have, nobody sort of paid attention to this once the election was over. But the unions were making some significant job cutbacks in the in the Rust Belt right before the election. Now I don't know if that was by design or by or not, um, but the union would have had to let those workers know before the announcement was public. And I think that um, I think that that probably had a bigger effect than people think. Mm. Interesting. So we talked a little bit about social media and how the data, it's aggregated and there's really, there's no running or hiding from it. And in fact, Facebook has this algorithm, which is updating every, whatever the smallest increment of time is. And there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of advertisers competing to figure out what 
who and you know when and how they should be putting a message in front of each one of us, right? Mm-hmm. And I listened to a really interesting conversation that was talking about how if you do not define your own values and really understand what those are, well, then it's going to be fed to you in a way that your brain probably is not equipped to compete with. So I imagine that campaigns these days are highly cognizant of that. And <clears throat> Is it all the forms of social media are, are some bigger than others? Uh, you know, obviously Facebook's a big one. Instagram's a big one. Uh, Twitter... I think we've seen that's a pretty big one. Um, you know, it was, a, it was attractive for Republicans from the outset because you were able to bypass the media machine. Um, and that's um, that was sort of the central goal of how Republicans wanted to use it. And, and, and frankly, the gold medal winner, as we've all seen, is Donald Trump, right? He sent his message directly to the people in 140 characters or less somehow. Um, and bypass the media, and we see how well that relationship's worked out recently. So, right. Um, but but that was that's sort of the goal. But yeah, Republicans are uh, and Democrats. I mean, I will tell you that um, you know President Obama had the probably the best uh, social media platform, but also data mining operation um, in history. And I think Hillary was um, probably trying to trying to use that to her advantage piggyback off that success uh, but her messaging was was off but um but they were time magazine subscriptions if you're you know that's a that's another component i mean you, virtually anything that you can you can imagine um is being you know labeled put a little tag on george and then i can i can figure out how to talk to george about the issues i want to talk about it right. seems you know if i can look at all these these flags and say, you know, Georgia's number one issue seems to be tax policy. So, you can focus on that. Right. And that's, um, now, the other thing is, frankly, it's it's a little bit like more, a more advanced mail program, right? And we always said that mail in political campaigns was advantageous because I can, um, I can uh, target you on whatever issue is important to you, right? But also, I already know that you're a registered voter. And I also already know from the data that you're likely to vote, more than, more more likely to vote than to not vote. So I'm literally almost saving money because I've, I've lopped off about 80% of the people in your district or, or in your precinct or whatever it may be. And so from that standpoint, it became more cost effective than, say, television, which I'm paying for everybody to be contacted regardless right. of whether they're going to vote. So I'm now paying for that 80% who's not going to vote. Um, number one and number two, then I've got to almost guarantee that you're watching that channel at that time. That so, time. so there's an art to TV. There is no doubt about it, and has its place in its time. Uh, but mail was was certainly more effective, and, and frankly, phones until until recent recent history um, was was better target. Social media has now become the new favorite target, especially with the younger generation who's not watching TV anymore. Right. Um, they watch. I mean, Netflix is off the chart. Hulu's off the chart. Amazon Prime's off the chart. So that's where they're getting all their news. And then Facebook. Um, now, the dangerous part about that is if you, I'm sure you guys have it on your Facebook feeds, but are these fake news mm-hmm. operations that are put together? And and I think that that's uh, that's a problem that needs to be addressed. And I'm not. I'm not too sure what the best way to go about doing it is, right? Um, everybody's sort of searching for that solution, even Mark Zuckerberg's um, com- coming up with the plan. But um, but that's where these new the newer generation is getting their news. It's not from the Arizona Republic. It's not from the New York Times or, or even Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. Um, you know, maybe a little bit. Uh, but they're mostly doing almost everything exclusively on a computer. It's pretty incredible. And you know, it's funny that I feel like I'm so beaten down by the last election cycle that I've forgotten, I guess just put it out of my mind, that Obama had such a, such a wonderful campaign and such a wonderful message that was so powerful that, that got so many young people to get out and vote. And Hillary was not able to capitalize that. Bernie Sanders, it seems, was. So it's interesting. Yeah, and Bernie's also, you know, Bernie's almost a product of the environment that we operate in now, and it's it's. Um, here's the problem: the entire country, regardless of politics, is becoming more divided. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, and whether you're to the right or the left, but there's the the, the middle is shrinking. Okay, in the in the middle in the conversation, by the way, to get to the middle, that's also shrinking. But um, you know, Bernie was the left of the left. I mean, he was um, he was an independent in the Senate because he felt the Democratic Party was too conservative for him. So that should give you an idea where he was. Um, and then you look on on the Trump side, you know, everybody wants to call him a he he ran as a Republican. My contention is he's actually a populist. Who ran as a Republican, um, but it's proof positive that the political spectrum is not a straight line, but it's a circle. And I think what we're seeing is instead of the D being over here and the R being over here, they're starting to get a little bit closer over here. Mm. Um, and, and when you look at certainly a Donald Trump and a Bernie Sanders, I think that's, I think, I, I think that's proof positive. I, my prediction is that there will be a issue, if not a couple issues, that Bernie Sanders is in support with Donald Trump. Um, And I don't know what that's going to be. It may be student loans, ironically. Um, I think that that's that's sort of one that it's it's a quiet issue that, you know, we tried to raise it during the presidential campaign. I think Marco Rubio came up with the plan, talked about it. Um, Certainly Bernie Sanders did. Um, But, you know, right now gets sort of lost in the shuffle of tax cuts today. Uh, healthcare reform yesterday, and I think healthcare reform again. But at some point, we're going to be talking about these student loan costs and the interest that we're paying. Mm-hmm. So, I um, saw an article, and I'd love for you to tell me the veracity of this. An article saying that millennials weren't as pro Hillary as the, the media would make you think. And so, looking at the data, there were actually a lot of millennials who did actually go out and vote for Trump. Can you talk a little bit about that? I, the, I think the millennials were a tough target to figure out this year. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no doubt about it. Um, and I think, frankly, the, I, I think the political operations are still trug- struggling on how best to, to sort of get to them. Yeah. There's, uh, there's clearly a frustration. Um, there's, a, there's a frustration everywhere. But remember, the millennials are also frustrated because there's no jobs, right? And um, I just, you know, I think they were either firmly in the Bernie Sanders camp and not coming out. Um, and I think that there were a significant part of them that said, listen, I'm going with Trump because I think he's going to create more jobs than she is. Um, I, it is it is unfair to take an entire generation and say they're of all course. Hillary supporters, right? right? It's, it's, it would be unfair to say, uh, you know, all white men are Republicans, all African Americans are Democrats, all Hispanics are Democrats. It's just not, it's not how the world works. And, and it's... It's unfortunate that the media wants to portray it like that. There's no doubt about it. Because I think that they missed that the frustration in the electorate was so off the chart, uh, unlike we've ever seen before, that what what to a certain extent went through the voters' minds is, I don't think I'm going to get any change under a Hillary um, mm. administration. I think I'm going to have more of the same. And I wanna, I'm ready to drain, drain the swamp, shake things up, whatever... Whatever he put in 140 characters or less, make but America great make again. Make America great again. Um, what is is what they sort of said? Hey, what the hell? You know, four, if I don't like it in four years, I can hit the change button. But right now, I'm going to try this out. Certainly, it seems like there's a lack of nuance going on. Oh yeah. So there's no doubt about it. Somebody brought up an interesting point, and they talked about how it seems like. There's now sports fans that have become involved in politics, and it's this rabid tribalism that I, I don't know that I felt that before. But now everybody's a you know it's a Cardinals fan versus the Raiders or whatever it might be. People are just so entrenched and excited about their candidate and and, and hate the other side so much. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a it's a it's like a. I mean, hockey looks tame compared to politics these days, and um, and I think it goes back to what I was saying. I mean, look, the frustration's just high, um, and and I understand that. You know, the economy is. We are now coming out of the recession. Um, I think it's clear we're out of the recession as I look at the construction project next door that's been shelled for you know seven years, and and they're all over town. Um, but that was that's certainly a lot of pent up frustration. But I also would contend with you that social media and the anonymity of social media and also the anonymity of this dark money going into politics lends itself to people being mean to each other. Mm-hmm. And um, 
and it's and frankly it's not helpful. These are also the same people that say, you know, how come there's no big ideas coming out of Washington and how come we're not fixing this and how come we're not fixing that? And well, because the political environment is so caustic right now. Um, you know, I think I think probably 20 years from now we will look back and regret um, the Senate's decision to do away with the filibuster rule on the Supreme Court judges. I, it, you know, all you needed was 60 members, okay? That judge, regardless of whether you like his politics or not, was qualified for the job. He was, they, the same members voted 100 to 0 to recommend him to his district court judge, judge job. But what changed when he got nominated to the Supreme Court? Um, and the politics around it were just mean. It, there are people that make a fortune in this business being obstructionists, right? I can put up a, if I, you're going to pay me to put up a TV commercial saying this guy's a bad guy and call your senator and vote no, yeah, I'm taking the money, right? right? Um, so, um, you know, I, I continually get in trouble when I say this, but when you look at some of these rallies and these moments on TV, and, you know, I, I got in trouble when I said, this, you know, there's money involved in that. Um, now people get angry. Obviously. People get angry about that when I say that because they say, you know, I went on my own accord, and I said, absolutely, you did. There is absolutely no doubt that you did, and I'm proud of you for 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 being interested in government and doing the right thing, and at least expressing your your frustrations. But don't kid anybody that there was no money involved in making whether that making that happen or charging up the crowd. And, and you know, I, when you look at Senator Flake's. Um, town hall here recently. I th I think it's evident that you know there was a large portion of that audience that was drawn out. I don't think on their own. I don't think they picked up a flyer from Senator Flake and said I'm going to go so I can yell right. at them. I think that there were some calls made. There were some, some people gutters, and said, yeah, "Hey, yeah. we need you. You got to show up. You got to express it. We got to let them know." So for our listeners, what is something um, about the political process, especially as it comes to campaigns, that it's like maybe a common misconception or just people should understand how it works. I, you know, the one thing I, I always hate hearing is, like, everybody's on the take. And, um, and I don't, and it's difficult for me to get my head wrapped around. Like, I'm not too sure what makes you think that other than you're just frustrated or annoyed at the, at the, at the system. Um, but it's, it's virtually impossible to be on the take from one way or the other, right? Um, the, the vast majority of members, especially the state legislature, but certainly, um, you know, Congress, they're good people. They're trying to do the right thing. There's a handful that are complete dinglings and, and, and have bad moments. And, um, but I, I think all in all, um, they're, trying to, they're trying to do the right thing. I don't take, think they're, they're getting checks under, in, under mm -hmm. the table from uh, whoever, you know, Mr. Walmart or whoever it may be at the end of the day. Um, I'm trying to think of the other, mis the other misconceptions in campaigns, um, you know, that you get a lot of sleep. That is certainly a misconception. <laughs> I can tell you that for sure. Um, and that you have a good diet um, and that you stay in nice hotels. All of that mm. is complete. complete <laughs> All nonsense. Right. There is certainly a, a lot of money. Um, and just to, I, I wanted to get your, your, your perspective on what the public perception is of folks in your industry. Um, $2.6 billion a year industry. Maybe that's more. That was maybe an old statistic, and I'm sure that there's really, really, really great people that that do it, like like you, and then the bad actors who are trying to, you know, stop things from happening, being in a, an impediment. But what what do you feel the public perception is of lobbyists? Oh, it sucks. I mean, it literally <laughs> could not be any worse, right? I mean, uh, <clears throat> used car salesmen's outpull us. I mean, we are the scum of the earth, um, and I hear about it continually. Um, I did a, uh, you know, I did a conference. I think it was probably two years ago now with just a bunch of the sweetest ladies in the, on the planet. But they wanted to sort of give me a poke and yeah. and say you're a lobbyist. <laughs> um, look, the, our business is just like every other business, right? You've got a bunch of good people that do it, have good hearts and good intentions, um, and you do have a percentage that are complete scumbags. Um, and I think we. Certainly seen that in recent history, um, and I can't, God, I'm forgetting his name right now, but that lobbyist out of D.C. who wore the black trench coat and the black hat, and it was... Uh, Abramoff? That Jack. was it. Jack Abramoff. Abramoff. Um, you know, probably 
just the most hated person in America at that point. And by the way, I was like, if you're the most hated guy, do you really need to put on the black hat and the right. white trench coat? At least he's owning it. Um, but as I, as I said to these ladies, look, there's also, you know, there's bad guys in baseball. There's bad guys in uh, professional sports, wherever it is. So A-Rod. You know, there's... Um, there's just misunderstood. Yeah, there's, there's bad people in corporate America. Um, there's bad people who handle pensions for a living. So... If, if that's your only sort of hang-up, you know, kind of get over it and we've got to move on. But the other thing is, I think, once you give people sort of an understanding of what you do, you know, I said to somebody the other day, um, do you drink, uh, what do you, what's your soft drink of choice? What do you drink? And I said, Coke. And I said, congratulations, you're hired up, you've got a lobbyist, you've got your own lobbyist. Well, what do you mean? Coke has hired a lobbyist and they lobby at the federal level, they lobby at the national level. I mean, the international level, sorry, the state, you know, the county. Uh, so, you know, do you like ivory soap? Yeah, okay. Well, you know, virtually every product in your life um, has somebody advocating on its behalf in government. When I go through and sort of tell people, look, here's my, here's my client list, okay? I'm not, I, I'm not, I don't do guns, I don't do knives, I don't do, uh, you know, booze or um, any weird stuff, um, you know, it, it's an opportunity for a legislator to hear what's a perspective from this private business or, frankly, from some governments to say, um, hey, look, if you pass this law, that puts more pressure on our general fund and forces us to think about raising taxes. We don't want to do that. We don't think you want to do that. Let's figure out a better solution to that problem. Um, you know, I think, I think lobbyists, I mean, look, we're entitled to our First Amendment rights. That's what we do. Um, but I also don't think we'd probably exist if people took a more active role in, in their government um, and contacted their legislators more and contacted their county reps or, or their congressional offices. I think that I think we're starting to see a little bit more of that, and that I celebrate that. That's a good thing. Um, I would. I just want at some point people to understand that there's actually a state House of Representatives and a state Senate. In a national Senate, in a national House of Representatives. Maybe break it down for a listener so <laughs> yeah. who, who skipped civics. Slow it down there, uh, yeah. Yeah. political I science guy. I, I probably spend 90% of my time doing civics lessons, and it's and it's sort of hilarious for Which, me. But. Let's just agree that there is, in fact, that there's, at the state level and the federal. There's a state government and a federal government. Both of okay. those do exist. That was something I, I was curious about also is what you really consider your role to be and what I picked up on a little bit is making sure that people understand what the blind spots are or the unintended consequences are. Um, what percentage of our elected officials do you think read the bills that they vote for? Ooh, um, I'm, I, oof. I'm going to tell you it's not a high percentage. Half? It's not, it's not good. It used. To, I will tell you. I've got uh, enormous, enormous respect for a couple members on both sides of the aisle, both Republican and Democrat, at the state legislature who meticulously go through every bill, um, ask great questions, and make everybody, everybody, even their fellow members, work harder uh, to come up with the right solutions. But I will tell you that in today's fast-paced environment, um, it's becoming more common to sort of read the fact sheet or ask questions, but not actually read the language in the bill. Yeah. And I. I, um, I vividly remember this, this particular lobbyist, um, literally their testimony at committee was just reading the language of the bill. That's it. And it hit the members so clearly that they finally, they went, wow, we actually now know what's in this bill. Okay, we're in favor of it. Um, it and that practice doesn't happen very often, but it, it, it does need to, I, look, Obamacare, would it exist had everybody spent the time? Um, I don't know. It's yeah. a, you know, it was what a close to a two hundred page bill. Uh, but I, I'm there, surprised it wasn't longer than that. Yeah, there is. There's. It's too easy to look at the bullet points now and the summaries. And I think you know, as I tell clients all the time, the the big words on this page have, have ramifications for people's lives and in the courtroom. So you can't afford to 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 tell me what you think it does, what this language does, we need to know exactly what it does. And those bills are transparent to the public? So oh yeah, absolutely. Everybody, you know, there's a website, azledge.com, for your state legislature, um, that you can look up any bill and, and see its discourse. But it didn't make it through the process. It didn't make it through the process. What's the language? What amendments? 
um, that type of that type of thing. And then there's one for the federal government. I think is Thomas.gov. I'm not. I, I can't remember. There's some link to Thomas Jefferson, but I'm not too sure. Sure, that makes sense. Um, do you do you think that the bills are purposely written in a fashion which is confusing, or am I looking at it too nefariously? No, you know, I'd be a lawyer would be the best way I can say yeah. it. Um, you know, they're written. Right. They're written. They're written specifically for a purpose, and that is, um, they are the law, and, um, and each word does have ramifications, and it's going to be interpreted by a judge at some point. Um, may, uh, hope, hopefully not, but but the, it could be, and probably will be. Um, and that's why it's that's why it's written like that. And there's a great team of people down at the state legislature who are nonpartisan, have nothing to do with that. But their whole goal is to to write language, um, and they write. You know, they work till the wee hours of the morning and early, uh, uh, late at night and early in the morning, um, working on this language so these members can accomplish what they want to accomplish. But but more importantly, writing the language appropriate. Mm. So, what are some of the things that that you are working on? As a firm, you you individually here in Arizona. Um, well, I, you know, I've got this thing called client, um, you know, privacy. So I, I can't mm. go into I can't go into too much uh, <laughs> detail about what I'm what I'm sort of working on. But um, you know, the legislature's coming to an end. I think, it, frankly, I think the legislature will probably sign a die, which means end for the year. Uh, went next Wednesday or Wednesday, a week from week from today, and uh, in. You know that'll be a little bit over 100 days, but but fairly close to 100 days is usually what they run. Um, and then uh, you know the question I have is: Are we going to be looking at a special session? Will there be another issue that will exist um, that will come up between now and January that's so pressing that the legislature will have to come back into into session? And and I think that there have been um, some things certainly going on with compact negotiations with the Indian tribes trying to trying to uh, trying to reformulate sort of how Indian gaming works in Arizona. Um, and I think the governor's expressed some interest in doing that. And, and I'm sure his goal is to increase revenue to the state of Arizona. I'm sure that's where he wants to go. And probably, I'm guessing, totally guessing, put it into education, but but that's a guess. Um, the question is whether you can get, you know, all the tribes in Arizona sort of on the same page, which is a challenge. Um, you're talking about basically independent countries. Um, coming together in agreement to do that, and, and it'll be uh, it's certainly going to be a challenge for the governor to see if they can push and get that done, and if they do, if they want to do that in special session. Um, and then, is there anything at the federal level that's going to happen uh, that's going to force changes at the state? So, uh, depending on what happens with Obamacare in Congress, if they were to pass a vote, it may become necessary for the state legislature to come back and have to reformulate how our um, how our access plans work and how how that might affect us but well we'll have to see I mean we're sort of dependent on what the what the federal government does there right so get your crystal ball out right yeah <clears throat> one <laughs> and then don't forget I mean the campaigns are going to start warming up here again right governor's up uh, no thank you 2018 <laughs> uh, you know there's going to be a bunch of races that are going to be campaign time is going to be here before you know it yeah one of the things that I, I, I think and I know that a lot of municipalities and entities, cities are struggling with are pensions. And I think that I read about how Phoenix, 25 or 30, a quarter or a third of our operating budget is now going to fund pensions. So if you were to put your public relations hat on and say, you know what, if I were representing the folks who are trying to limit those, it's, we probably don't have enough time. Yeah, to talk you don't about have that, enough but. time to talk about this issue unless we're going to be here all night. But I will tell you, it is. Um, you know, I just got asked the other day. You know, how come the city of Phoenix doesn't do this anymore, and how come the city of Phoenix doesn't do that anymore? And they had a long list, um, and were all things that I remembered them doing. Um, and the fact of the matter is, the budgets have gotten tight over there. Um, now, what um, some over there will say is it's because the state legislature has sort of hamstrung us so much that, that our, it's impacted our finances. And the fact of the matter, I, I firmly disagree with that. The fact of the matter is that the pension costs mm -hmm. have been escalating at a, at, a, at a just exponential rate. And it's virtually impossible to keep up with. And that's what's actually sort of causing all these problems. It's not just the city of Phoenix, it's other cities, but the city of Phoenix is clearly the biggest case um, of that going on. And 
and it's going to be tough, but people are going to have to bite the bullet to sort of make some changes. We've done a voter initiative that was designed to sort of fix this. It doesn't look like that was the end-all, be-all of the answer. I think this is going to sort of continue to, to go on. But it also means, you know, I'm, depending on how you skin the cat here, employees are probably going to have to pick up a bigger portion of yeah. what their retirement plan is. So what do you see as the um, both, let's go, uh, from the state level and the federal level, the big issues that you think are going to bubble up in the next couple of years? Is it education? Is it healthcare? What are, what are Well, clearly right now, definitely in the state of Arizona, education is a huge right. issue. And, and um, you know, ESA sort of started um, that ticking bomb, if you will, to make it the number one issue um, a couple weeks ago. But I think as we move into, you know, again, as we get closer to campaigns, education is going to continue to dominate sort of that discussion. And especially for, you know, Republican women, you know, you, as I like to say, Republican men always have their sort of mind made up. They're tough to move. Um, but Republican women are always sort of in flux. You never know where they're, where they're going to be. And they're concerned about the education of their children. They're concerned about health care. Um, and so I think that that'll be, uh, that'll be a, a huge issue, um, certainly going into the governor's race. The federal rate, the fed, on the federal level, it's, it's, you know, wow, what a time to be here. I mean, we are picking a fight with North Korea, or I should say North Korea is picking a fight with us would probably be the more accurate statement. Um, and, you know, on any given day, you don't know how that's going to unfold. We've got all these world uh, events happening, and um, that's certainly challenging. At the same time, we're trying to, you know, either repeal uh, and replace Obamacare or we're not. While doing tax reform, there's there's just so many issues at the federal level, um, it, and sometimes, occasionally, those those impact also sort of the state issues. So, um, it it's I think it's we're unlike any other time. And I mean, meanwhile, the stock market's you know taken off. Um, you know, I think we're clearly out of the recession. So everybody's happy about having money in their pocket, um, but they're at the same time they're they're still a little bit nervous about where we're going. So if somebody, how does one engage your firm and who would that person be? Walk, walk me through how that process actually works. Um, it, well, it can work through, you know, a number of ways, but usually it's a telephone call and somebody says, hey, you know, I've got a, I, I, here's my company. We do X, Y, Z. Um, we've got a problem uh, with, the, with the state government or with the county government or with the city government looking to see if you can help us um, is usually the way it goes. Um, a lot of times it's referral business from previous clients or even friends. Um, and so, you know, that's usually how the ball sort of starts starts rolling. Or, you know, sometimes they'll say, hey, you know, you do that show Politics Unplugged on Channel 3, and um, hey, well, I want to talk to you about this situation and, and you know, I've got going on. So, um, you know, it's... it's it, uh, it's a, it's a fun business in that you never know what you're going to get. You never know what you're walking into. I tell people it's kind of like being an airline pilot. You know, it's hours of boredom followed by minutes of sheer terror. Never, <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. You just don't know. So for our, our listeners, um, it seems like you're pretty uh, well-informed. What are some of the three, maybe name the three things that you read daily or look at to get your information on things? Oh, just three? Um, I try to do... Uh, can, I, I'll, let me just give you a, a few of them that I read, and I try and sort of get around the circuit. But I watch, um, you know, I got to watch Fox News, CNN. Um, sometimes I watch MSNBC, but not. Not I'll be honest with you, not very often. Uh, but then I watch the local. I really watch the local news, mm. um, and then I do uh, New York Times, Arizona Republic, Drudge Report, Huffington Post. Um, and that's probably about it. And then anything on Facebook that looks relevant that mm-hmm. um, sort of clicks in. A uh, local retired journalist was telling me that her now uh, big source is uh, actually BuzzFeed. What are your thoughts on that? It, it, that one pops up a lot on my – that's why I said Facebook because I catch BuzzFeed a lot on that. Um, you know, here's my idea. Don't The reason I read so much about this is that – and I try and encapsulate the whole circle is that – Hopefully, I can get a real picture of what actually happened. People, so try and relate it. Yeah, people that are too dependent on one news source are, um, 
it's just ridiculous. You know, I think you're a better, more informed person if you can have a, a better sense of the issue. Um, and frankly, you know, most of the times the story is the same. The verbiage might be different. And some people, you know, might be trying to influence you. I don't know. But I, I know that... Um, I know that I've read, you know, stories in two different places and just picked up just a little bit more information in this story than I did in this mm -hmm. story. Um, and I just, I, I think it just makes for a healthier, more rounded idea of how the issues sort of coming together. That's good. So you mentioned that if more people were active and communicating with their elected officials, we'd probably be, be better off. How would you encourage somebody to go about that? Uh, well, it's sort of, you know, the best thing probably to do is just write a letter. Um, or an email in today's day and age would probably be the better way to do it. But um, it depends on who that member is. You know, if it's a member of the state legislature, the city council, or, um, uh, or the county board of supervisors, I think you could call them up and say, hey, I want to go get a cup of coffee with you. Or they do so many events in the community. You know, they host uh, like mini town halls, if you will, um, at the local coffee shop. And go to one of those and introduce yourself and get to, and get to know them. Uh, at the federal level, it's obviously a little bit tougher. These guys are out of town, you know, the majority of the time. But, um, but the same thing, try and go to a town hall and introduce yourself and just say, hey, I'm a, you know, maybe you're a small business owner in the community and you've got, you know, some issues that are special to your small business and you want to talk to them about it and say, hey, how do we, how do we fix this? Or, or can you keep me informed on this issue? Excellent. Centauri, so, as our time is drawing to a close, what have we forgotten to talk about? Answered all my questions. Thank you for being here. Glad to. Well done. Where can folks uh, find you, Marcus? Marcus at firststrategic.com. Okay. We've got a website, www.firststrategic.com. We will put that in the show notes. Appreciate it, sir. Anything Thank else you'd you. like to get off your chest? I would just tell you, uh, and this is unfortunately this is going to be a bigger issue than we have time for, but you know, when we look through the election reforms that we've done in Arizona, hoping to solve some problem, whether it was term limits, whether it was clean elections, um, redistricting commission, I would caution people the next time somebody comes to sell you on a solution to whatever is irritating you, spend the time doing the research on that issue. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of those past uh, 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 proposals that the voters passed have actually made the system any better. As a matter of fact, I can make the argument and made the system worse um, and should make them more frustrated today than it did. But I would just, you know, again, the words on the page have an impact. They're a real thing. Take the time to read up on your initiatives. Yeah, look at your initiatives before you vote on them. Don't vote off the TV commercial. Okay. Solid advice right there. Thank you again. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.